Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Via Williams with Keller Williams Realty in Kirkland, Washington. Last year, she closed 60 transactions with a total sales volume of $37 million. Her average sales price was $627,000, of which 36% were buyers and 64% were sellers. She has a five-member team, one team manager, one transaction coordinator, three buyer agents, and one team leader. Via Williams is the team leader of the Via team. She's been an agent for 14 years and works the metro Seattle market. In this call, Via talks about when she almost lost her home four years ago when she was in foreclosure and six months behind in her house payments. How she quickly turned it around and sold $9 million in the next 12 months. What she's been doing to double her production every two years. How she gets referrals from her friends, family, past clients, and other agents in her area and around the nation. Her top 20 group and why it accounts for a huge portion of her referrals. How she generated 200000 in GCI last year by playing on Facebook. What she did to move her price point up to the entry luxury market and her average listing price to 750000 how she started her own radio show, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Via. Thank you, Mike. What a privilege to be here. I appreciate it. Hey, Via. It's great to have you here. Via, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Yeah, I was a radio advertising sales rep before I got into real estate. So I sold for an adult contemporary uh, station. And then when my husband and I moved back up to Seattle, which is where I'm from, we were in California for a few years, I went to work for a, a the number one news talk radio station here and uh, realized that I wanted to get into real estate, which my family had been in, and which I think was probably always in the cards. So, yeah. You said your family's been in real estate. Which members of your family? Before I sold radio, I actually worked for my dad, and he is a new construction sales and marketing real estate company, essentially. And so when I first got out of college, that, that was my first job out of college, working for dad. And I was a new home marketer and, and kind of a, a marketing coordinator and sort of an assistant sales manager. So we would manage and market large subdivisions. And the developer typically hired us and we would manage multiple builders that were building tracks in, each, in the large subdivision. And then the individual builders would often hire us to sell out their their sites, call them plat subdivisions here, 
when they didn't have an in-house sales force. You know, now a lot of our national builders have what we call in-house sales teams. But, you know, then um, they often hired outside real estate firms, and, and that's what we did. You learned a lot about the business by working with your father. Did you learn a lot about the construction of the buildings itself or more about the, the sales and marketing side? The sales and marketing side. With that said, you, you, I learned more about design than construction because I was very involved with um, really the forefront of what we used to call psychographic research. So we used to use prism analysis back in the day and now they have all sorts of things. So I was always really involved with helping the model home uh, interior designers, we called them merchandisers, who was our target market, who were we building for, helping the builders choose design and, and features, and then um, marketing to you know that target market that we had identified, and then um, managing the sales team. And so I, I learned a ton about marketing and sales. I, I would say that the pounding nails was never probably going to be something I was going to do. So, yeah. <laughs> After radio, when you jumped back into real estate and you, you got your license, did you go into the new construction side or did you go into the brokerage retail side? That's a great question. I went straight into resale or general real estate, non, you know, non-construction, and it was right after 9-11. I decided to quit my job and, and you know, follow my passion. And I think a lot of us made changes after 9-11, and I, I went into general real estate. I was very successful. I was with a, a strong regional brand that, that's it's not a national brand. They were strong here. And, and did really well. And about 2008, um, when it looked like the rest of the country had, had substantially started uh, the downfall and Seattle was a little behind, I took a job with my dad's firm again. So I went back into new construction. And, you know, when I came back, I was a, um, I did a stint uh, doing new business development for small and emerging builders, and I was an account manager. And it was, um, it was a wonderful experience. It was so fun working, you know, for dad again. It was not, uh, it was a square peg in a round hole. I, I realized um, the year and a half doing that, that my place was resale real estate and that that's where I was probably going to build my empire. It's where I wanted to build my empire. So had my third child at uh, end of 2009 and uh, worked part-time uh, in 2010 and then came back full-time in resale general real estate right at the beginning of 2011. Via, how many homes did you sell last year? Last year, I am proud to say we sold 60 homes. And, and that may not sound like a lot to uh, some people in markets uh, with lower price points. In, in this market, that, that was a huge, uh, a huge unit volume uh, victory for us to sell 60 units. Our average price was 625 on a blended average between buyers and sellers, and my average listing price was 750 so it was a really good year. What was your total sales volume on those 60 homes? We were at $37.5 million. What's your goal for this year, 2015? This year, our goal is uh, 100 units and 50 million with a reach goal of 120 units and uh, 60 million. And at 60 million, I'm flying my entire team to Maui. So according to them, our goal is 60 million. 
Well, we're going to talk about what's been happening now and, and the excitement that's uh, around your business today. But before we do that, I want to go back a few years. You, you started to lead into it about three, four years ago. Things weren't looking so good. Could you tell us a little bit about that time, what was going on then, and how you've gotten to the point you are today? Yeah, and I, I'm glad you asked, and I appreciate that, because I love telling my story, because I, I always believe there's people out there who hear it and, and relate to it, and I want them to know that you can really rise from the ashes in this industry and come from where I came from and, and crush it. I mean, it's just such a blessing of an industry we're in, because um, when when I mentioned I had had my third child, it was the end of 2009. And she was a preemie. She was born at four pounds. And uh, I needed to uh, make some decisions and stay home with her for a while and make sure that she was going to, you know, get healthy. And I have two other kids. We have three kids total. And I really decided, my husband and I decided together that I was going to work, you know, really part-time in 2010, that I would sell houses as I, as business came to me, but I wasn't going to go lead, generate, and, you know, kind of have this big business. And towards the end of 2010, my husband approached me and said, you know, I, I've been trying to shield you from this as long as possible. I can no longer do that. Uh, we're three months behind on our house payment and you, we have nothing coming in and I'm concerned we're going to lose our house. And, you know, that is, if anyone's ever experienced that moment, they will know what it's a crushing blow to hear those words. And so we had some uh, serious discussion we were able to kind of big borrow and steal from family to get um, to be able to get childcare in place, because the decision that we made and really that I made internally was that I was going to you know come out of this fighting that you know I was going to come back to the workforce and I was going to you know try to um, save all of this. I just didn't feel uh, that it was within my character to just lay down and, and let the house go and, you know, go off to the sunset. I wanted to fight, keep the lifestyle that we had worked so hard for. So I switched brokerages, came to Keller Williams, and that was, I think, November of 2010. And I, um, at that time, uh, put my head down and just started calling everybody I knew. And this is where the database comes in. I just started calling everybody. I did open houses every weekend. I mean, I just, I just hustled and I, I would go to an open house and say, I, I will find a client. And I did. I remember going to an open house and having someone in contract within two days. If I called any of my friends, if any of them had a referral, I mean, I was just on the phone all the time. So that first year in 2011, I, I, you know, I ended up selling, um, it was, uh, I think 10 or 11 million in real estate. And um, that was, it was a great year fr from coming from nothing and, and thinking I was going to lose my house. You know, it was, it was wonderful to be able to come back and start getting caught up. And if anybody knows what it's like to be at, at our lowest point, we were six months behind on getting notices of default on our house. So there's a lot of penalties and back payments. And to try to pay six months of your house payment and then keep current, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a process. So even by the end of 2011, while things were looking good, we certainly hadn't recovered, I, I wouldn't say. You know, it was a huge moment. I, I started um, really, really plugging into um, Keller Williams in 2012 and going to classes and, and following, you know, the model that was kind of laid out for me in this brokerage and, and learning about how to build a team. And so by 2013, I think I did 
12 million in 2012 and in 2013 I sold 25 million in real estate and then 37 million last year and then you know 50 to 60 million this year. And so there's other people that that do a higher volume than me and yet I think that I'm an example of tremendous explosive growth that can occur, you know, when you decide you need it to. You're basically doubling every 2 years. That's a pretty strong growth. You also seem to have a lot of internal fortitude to come back from being down so far. What were, if if you can recall, it was a few years ago, but do you recall what the motivations were, what things were pushing you and driving you to push past the challenges? Sure. I mean, my big why was absolutely my family. There's no question in my mind. It was it was my husband and my kids. That nothing. I don't think anything can push us like like our families can. And when you have a, a little baby and you know two school age boys, my oldest boy has high functioning asthma. There was there was in my mind there was no option. There's it was just not even not even a choice. So that that's what drove me. Let's step back for a minute and talk about your market. Where is Kirkland, Washington? Kirkland, Washington is one town over removed from Seattle. When people say they're relocating to Seattle or they mention Seattle, Seattle, it's like saying Los Angeles, right? What Seattle really is is a bunch of different cities, including Seattle. So there's Seattle, Kirkland, Bellevue, Redmond. Redmond's famous because it's where Microsoft is. You know, there's all these cities. So Kirkland is on the east side of Lake Washington and Seattle's on the west side of Lake Washington. We're next to, like I said, Bellevue and Redmond. Kirkland's sandwiched in between Bellevue and Redmond. So Via, do you know the, the population there in Kirkland? Yeah, Kirkland's at about 85,000 people. And it sounds like it's part of a bigger Seattle, like a big metroplex. Do you happen to know what the population is in that entire metroplex area? The general Seattle, Tacoma, Everett statistical area, they call them MSA, is about 3.6 million. Via, could you please describe your current real estate market? I'm in, in King County, and King County is, is the county that has, uh, you know, many of the largest, it's certainly the largest uh, county in, in Washington. King County is tracking in the mid-400s right now for an average price point. So we have a really high average price point compared to the national average here. Uh, We are in a red-hot seller's market, and I know a lot of other markets are experiencing this right now. We have very, very low inventory. We are experiencing uh, appreciation. We had a pretty monster year. There were some areas that that did about 12 points appreciation last year in 2014. Most of us are thinking – almost everybody, that it's going to be more in the 4 to 7% this year. And Seattle tends to be about a 4 to 6% a year appreciating market. That, that tends to be our average. We're not, we're not quite as um, high highs and low lows as maybe California and Phoenix and some of those other markets. We tend to be a little bit more stable. Most of us think that we'll track at about a half a point a month on aggregate here. And of course, some areas that's going to be more aggressive, as you know, and in some areas it's going to be less aggressive. Well, Via, do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? I do. I'm I'm very focused on on our target market. So at the Via team, our typical client is a move up or move down buyer and seller. And what I mean by that is typically they represent two transactions. So they're, they're selling their house and they're either moving down or moving up. 
So what that looks like is our average client represents, and, oh, and I should also say, our average typical client here on our team is between 5 and 1.5 million. We really strategically like to target that move up, move down, and what we call the entry-level luxury market. Okay. So in, in our area, 1.5 million isn't really luxury in some neighborhoods. In some neighborhoods, it absolutely is. So our typical client, if they're buying and selling with us, which many do, that's kind of who we target, they're representing between 1 and 3 million in real estate with two transactions. And what percentage of your business is a move up or move down, a sell buy? Approximately 50% of our business is, is what I just described to you. How are you making that happen? How are you targeting those people and how are you finding those particular types of people? So I've been doing this for 14 years. So database and past clients and referrals, if you combine all of those together, that's our number one source of business. Right there with them, almost tied though, is agent referrals. Once I moved to a national brokerage, like I said, I'm with Keller Williams, my agent referrals now represent, it, it, it competes, is my either number one or number two source of business now. I also um, teach around the nation. Uh, I teach a class about how to get into luxury and how to increase uh, price points. And, and since I've, I've, I've been teaching and I, I've been on the main stage at some large real estate events, I've been at Inman now, I've spoken at uh, Keller Williams events. My, my agent referrals have now become a very substantial part of our business. And so that's primarily how we're getting that target market that you asked about. With that said, uh, the Internet. The Internet's um, now are, are really our third source of business. We did 17% of our business last year from the Internet. And more and more we're finding we're getting both sides because we're able to get them early and we're able to nurture that lead. You mentioned that you're teaching a class on moving your average price point up. It sounds to me, based on what you've talked about, that you're, you're targeting a higher price market. The, you mentioned, I think, entry-level luxury market. If an agent were listening to us and they wanted to move into this entry-level luxury market, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, and, and that's exactly what I teach because when I entered, when I was telling my story a little while ago and I was talking about entering, you know, in 2011 and kind of starting over, the, the first thing I did when I signed up for Keller Williams, uh, funny enough, was I, I signed up for their luxury division and I just decided to brand myself as a luxury agent and I hadn't been a luxury agent. I had done luxury. I, I, you know, it'd be misleading to say that I had never done luxury, but I maybe would do, I would luck out and get maybe a luxury home every year or two. It wasn't, it wasn't a big part of my business. And so my, my average price point when I entered Keller Williams was in the high 300s. And now my average listing is 750. The, the team's average price point is about 625, but my average price point for listings, because I'm the listing specialist, is about double. So um, it was hard for me when everybody kept asking me the question you just asked me. It used to be really hard for me to understand what I did. I, I wasn't really that aware of what I did. So I took about uh, six months, and, and I, I really became aware and tracked back and started kind of thinking about how I, I was doing things. And, and along the way, I figured out what I was doing, and that was I was extremely intentional. And uh, I would choose open houses that were in target markets of 5 to 1.5. 
I would work portions of my database that were between 5 and 1.5. The past clients of mine who fit into that wheelhouse that I described, those were the ones that were getting calls. So I think, you know, if an agent's listening and that's what they want to do, you have to completely focus on what you want for your niche and what I teach is, and yet we take everything that comes to us. So this isn't about not taking business. I sold a $75,000 condo last year, and I sold Kevin Durant's $2.7 million home, right? But I didn't seek out the $75,000 condo. I very much sought out Kevin Durant's home. So, um, you know, while you're focusing and, and targeting a niche, what I don't mean to say is that you don't take business that comes to you, but I believe you need to. Um, and, and all of your marketing and sales and prospecting efforts just need to be targeted on whatever niche it is that you are going for. And in my case, it was, I always said it was 5 to 1.5. I, I just really like that price point. It moves. It, I knew that my market was going to continue to appreciate, and I just knew that that would be a sweet spot. And I, I was right. It's, it's a great price point to have. So you mentioned that in the early days of your career you were not targeting this group. So your initial database only had a few people in it that would meet these parameters. You focused then on those particular folks, the, the majority of your effort. You said you focused on open houses and those higher price points. You didn't ignore other business, but your focus was on this higher end and it became a reality. Correct. That's, that is correct. And, you know, uh, you're right. When I, when I first started in real estate, I had a very inauspicious start. I mean, I, I had a horrible first year. I, I wasn't rookie of the year. <laughs> I was, you know, I don't remember what I made my first year in real estate, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't tons. But, you know, what happens in this wonderful industry of ours is that, you know, if, if you're here over time, three and four and five years from starting, you now have people that you help your first year who are moving. And those houses that you might have sold, that I sold in, you know, for 200000 in 2001 are now $500,000 homes. And so, you know, I, part of that was my database grew with me, number one. And then number two, you know, I... I was certainly positioned to have uh, friends, family, business associates, and I knew people that were in that wheelhouse. I, 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 I did have a sphere of influence that worked very well with the price point that I was targeting. You mentioned that 50% of your business is either a move up or move down, buyer, seller. Do you target the buy side to find those people? Do you target the sell side? Or is it just happening that way because, as you mentioned, your database has moved up, it's matured, and now these people have a home to sell before they can buy? It's a great question. And I, I think it's a great question because I think that, that there's a lot of agents listening who are probably trying to figure out what you just asked. I absolutely target the list side. So I am the listing specialist on my team, and I have three buyer's agents who are targeting the buy side. I had five listing appointments last week as an example, and uh, two of them were set by my buyer's agents because they were working their buyer leads and they found out they had to sell. So it's not to say that it's not done both ways. I personally uh, am targeting you know, the list side. Well, yeah. You know, with that said, when we talk about past clients and keeping up with past clients, it's, as we all know, it's kind of simultaneous. 
Because when you're kind of making those calls or running into your friends or they're calling you, conversation is typically, yeah, we think we want to move. And this is what we're thinking about moving to. And so admittedly, the, the buyer conversation is happening, um, you know, alongside the selling conversation. And yet my focus is always on listings. Let's start breaking down some of these categories. Let's first talk about the category of your past clients and sphere of influence. You've mentioned your database multiple times. How many people in your database are past clients? I think we're up to 400, 500 maybe at this point. I don't have the exact number. Um, and not all of them are, are on the database anymore for, for a variety of reasons. You know, some of them have moved away and, you know, whatnot. Um, the total database is a couple thousand at this point. Of the 2,000, you've got 400 or so that are past clients. How many are sphere of influence? We're at about 500, give or take, for sphere of influence. And I, a note on that, I, I'm a, what I'm really good at with my database is um, taking care of my A-pluses. And I always have about 20, no, really no more than 20, that are um, on, a, on a very high circulation. They get a lot of my time. So phone calls, um, you know, um, sporting events, uh, dinners out. I've always been really good about taking care of that kind of top top 20 group, I call them. Top 20 group. Now, how did you go about deciding who was going to be in this top 20 group? How I decided is, is that they hire me and they refer me. And um, what I have found over 14 years of doing this is that the 80-20 rule is usually in play. And it's really more like the 95-5 rule. There's always been about 20 people that have been responsible for a large majority of my referrals. And it's always sort of worked out that way for me. So I have chosen to invest in, in fewer, going deeper with fewer relationships, you know, so that they, the multiple lead sources that come from those are, are in abundance rather than spreading myself thin and, you know, using my time over hundreds of people. Tell us more about what you're doing with your top 20 group, your A pluses. Do you schedule it out over, say, a course of a year, what you're going to do with these folks? And if so, could you tell us what that plan is? It's not quite that regimented. Um, what, what we do is my husband and I, one example is we have premier um, Seattle Mariners tickets. It's called the Diamond Club. We have four tickets and they're very um, precious, expensive tickets. And so we take our top 20 and, and, you know, call down and follow up with emails and making sure that they're each slotted for a Diamond Club game. That's just one example. So we do Diamond Club every year. What we love about, about that is that Diamond Club is dinner and a Mariners game. There's, there's a chance, there's a lot of chance to fellowship and to talk. And, you know, fo- we love the Seahawks around here. <laughs> and football's fun. Football's also really loud and, and, and fun and not quite as much chance to talk. Uh, we no longer have an NBA team here. Unfortunately, we no longer have the Sonics. Basketball's also pretty good. Baseball's phenomenal because you know we're we're sitting with them for really for four hours, give or take, and we're really um, getting to know them and spending time with them. 
I assume that when you call around to offer people the, the chance to go with you for these tickets, not everyone accepts. So you're able to touch a lot more people than just the people who go. And you're offering this wonderful gift. It's really extending your influence over a, a larger group than the people that actually go. Well, you're absolutely right. Of course, you're right. This year, we're going to start getting into more large-scale client events. Um, we're talking about doing, you know, a movie premiere this year and running out a movie theater. And, um, gosh, I think Easter Bunny things have been brought up. I, my, my, I have a wonderful uh, – I have two um, administrative uh, people on staff who are planning all sorts of cool things, pie giveaways and pumpkin patches and whatnot. So I do think that we're going to get, get it to a little bit of a higher level. It's been about, um, I don't know, four years since I've restarted over again. And this, this is about the right time. Year four uh, feels about the right time to really, um, you know, get intentional and get a little bit more focused on our database. Because honestly, it's been really organic up to this point. Listening to you, and we're going to talk about the larger database in a minute, I just have a question on your top 20. Since it's working so well and they're doing so many referrals, Instead of going to a larger audience in a larger venue, why not just make it a top 30 or a top 40? We will probably do some smaller scale events. I really, I really feel strongly that my relationships with each of my top 20 are individual and personal. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'll combine them or not. I do end up combining them. You know, we'll, we'll sort of invite two or three of them sometimes to something. Um, to, and, and some of them know each other. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. Um, one of my top 20, it's, it's really interesting. She's an interior designer. I am her number one referral source. She is often my number one referral source in the course of the year. And so we have a, a business relationship. You know, we, we use her for our clients. I refer her all the time to people. And so I have a couple of people that I work with like that. We're, we're really almost allied partners together. You know, it's, it's beyond just a friendship. It's now a, a business relationship. Let's talk a little more about that top 20. You said that one of the things that you'll do is you'll, you'll take them out to a, a Mariners baseball game. You've got these premier tickets. What are the other things that you do throughout the course of the year to stay in front of your top 20? We love dinners out, and um, we typically, uh, one or two times a month, um, we, we use our babysitting, <laughs> babysitting night, and we go out to dinner um, with uh, other couples. We've got one this Saturday, as an example, and we just had a phenomenal one last month with two of them. That was a good example where there were six of us at that dinner and had a, a phenomenal dinner at one of the, the best restaurants in Seattle, one of those three-hour dinners. We sometimes do poker nights. We enjoy poker. <laughs> we one time we've done it where we've actually uh, rented a dealer. We've had a dealer come to the house, which was pretty fun. A lot of phone calls. A lot of spontaneous phone calls. A lot of um, little pings on text messages and emails. You know, hey, just thinking about you. Just drove by your old house. It was fun to see. You know, those kind of things. So they are always on my mind. You mentioned phone calls and the, the text and email. Are you sending those out on a schedule or is that just happening, as you mentioned earlier, organically when you think of them? 
Oh, great question. A little of both. So I do my lead gen between 9 and 11 every morning. Within that two-hour block, I am not necessarily lead genning for two hours. I'm, I'm always lead genning for an hour of that at least. So sometimes there's, there's a lot of lead follow-up or sometimes I'm doing work that I need to in order to call a lead back. So that's really my block of time where I'm focused on my new business. That is typically the time when I'm hitting them on a daily basis. So I have, I, I have that kind of blocked out where I have past clients, top 20, um, you know, new, new leads. So for instance, if I'm going to call an expired or for sale by owner or whatever, and then I have time blocked out where I'm doing lead follow-up, you know, following up on those people that I've already talked to. So that's usually the time that I'm hitting them unless I happen to be in my car just thinking about them, I might call them. You have this larger group of 400 past clients and the 500 sphere of influence. How are you staying in front of those people over the course of the year? Do you have a a more structured marketing plan for them? And if so, what does that look like? So the answer is uh, yes and no. In, In my past business, before I got out of real estate temporarily in 2008, I was uh, doing the Brian Buffini program, which is about 12 snail mail touches uh, a year. And uh, I believe I was calling, I think I was calling the database, I think I was calling my core 400 people quarterly. Can't quite remember. And then, of course, I, I stopped, got out of that, and then, you know, came here, built the team. So as we speak, my uh, administrative assistants are uh, working very hard to create our new, what we call 33 touch plan. So we are all going up to uh, a recording studio, a video studio uh, next weekend, and we're gonna record a whole bunch of video, and we're, they're working on content. So what our goal is, is to start an email campaign that's gonna be 24 touches a year on email. One of those touches, we're gonna use BombBomb and do video embedded mail, and then the other touch, we're, we're not and that's what they're trying to work out on now. And then the other touches are going to come from just sold postcards and from phone calls. You generated approximately a third of your business last year from your past client's sphere of influence without doing one of these programs. Were those transactions, were those leads coming in from your top 20 group? They were my top 20 and my past clients. It was a combination of both. So you were getting referrals from your past clients, even though you didn't have a formal way of staying in front of them. Yeah, and that's where I've always excelled. I've been really, really good with my my core. Well, with the top, my core top twenty, and then um, I'm really good on Facebook. And Facebook's been a cheat. I call it my cheat because I have. Um, friended a lot my database and sphere of influence on Facebook, and that kind of has uh, turned into a 33-touch campaign in and of itself. So Facebook's been, been huge for me in my business. What exactly do you do with Facebook? You said you friended these folks, so you have them in a database in essence, but what are you doing beyond that? Yeah, Facebook is, um, I love Facebook, and I've been on Facebook since 2008, so I, 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 I know my voice now on Facebook. And what I do on Facebook is, um, is I'm myself, I'm very positive, I post frequently, you know, I post, there's uh, probably a status for me every 24 to 48 hours, so I'm not posting three times a day, but I'm posting frequently. I um, am really into tagging people. I'm really into celebrating my business successes. 
And I say it in that way because what, what I'm not into is posting my listings. What I am into is, is, is building up my team, building up team successes, building up my clients. And so when you start uh, tagging people, doing fun photos, and staying engaged uh, with people, I spend about an hour to 90 minutes daily on Facebook, and I respond to other people. I, I wish them happy birthday. I'm just very uh, engaged and involved. And so I tracked, I believe, my, my growth commission last year was 850000 as, as a team. And I believe about 200000 of that came through Facebook. I believe there's 200000 of that that I just wouldn't have had if it weren't for Facebook because there's really no way, there's no reason that they, they should have called me. They wouldn't have even probably known I existed had it not have been for Facebook. That's how I tracked it. Wow. So you mentioned you spend 60 to 90 minutes per day on Facebook. Is that in your lead generation time from 9 to 11 in the morning, or is this a separate time? Separate time, never, ever during lead gen. That would be far too tempting. <laughs> so I, uh, that's, you know, I love Facebook too much for that. It's, you know, I do Facebook in the morning, and then I tend to do it at the end of the day or at night. It's also something that I use if, let's say, I'm early for an appointment or I'm in between appointments. You know, it's kind of my lobby toy. So if I'm, if I'm waiting for a client or, um, you know, like I said, I, I need a little free mental time in between, you know, doing CMAs or something, I'll insert five or ten minutes of Facebook in, in little bullets like that. You've been doing this for a while. You've been generating business from Facebook for a while. It sounds like it went very well last year. Have you ever made a mistake with your Facebook interaction or seen others make mistakes? And could you make any recommendations for agents that wanted to to expand that reach through Facebook? Yeah, I love that question because, um, you know, when we talk about Facebook, I, I really think that every, everybody has a voice on Facebook and you just need to find it. I think that, um, you know, mistakes I've seen are people who are uh, complaining and negative on Facebook. And while I, I'm not into hiding and masking who you are, I do think that, you know, we don't need to broadcast negative feelings. Um, obviously, we all know the agents who decide that they need to post every single listing on Facebook as a new listing. You know, it's one thing if you have a little creative spin like, you know, Hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be serving um, serving lattes at this new listing on Saturday. Would love to see you. Or, um, hey, I just look at this bald eagle I just spotted. I'm doing an open house and I'm on the deck of my new listing and I spotted a bald eagle. You know, those are interesting posts. I'm talking about the posts where agents just um, post their listings over and over and their open houses. Not really that interesting, and I think that people eventually block them from their feeds. So I think the trick is to engage, and, and also it's not about broadcasting out; it's about responding to other people's posts, and you know, being aware of them and and responding to what they're doing, not just not just broadcasting what you're doing. Are you using a personal page or a business page? Another great question. So we have both, um, and I have my radio show also has a page. 
my assistant has taken it as her mission to grow our, our business page. Um, so I hope you all like it. And I think we're up to 800 people or 900 people. What I'm learning about the business side of Facebook since they changed the algorithm last year is really nowadays your business page is not appearing, doesn't appear to be appearing in people's news feeds unless it's boosted, unless it's paid boost. So what we find is our business page has really good response on a paid boost. We just had a Russell Wilson video that we um, paid to boost, and I think we had 2,000 likes on it or something, and, and maybe 50 shares. We just had a huge return on that one. But again, we had to pay to play on that. Um, my personal page, though, is really where I think I have the biggest impact. I, I, I really get to engage. I'm very active with private messaging people. I'm very active on a few groups, um, a couple of real estate agent groups throughout the country that's really helped, honestly, increase my agent referral rate. And, and it's not just about, there's a lot of referral groups on Facebook, but this is about, you know, content groups, there's marketing groups, there's, you know, agents doing a certain amount of business groups. And, and there's groups where, you know, if, if you freely contribute and honestly, genuinely help other people, they recognize that and they reward it with a referral and, and vice versa. So again, it just has to do with, I think, connection and engagement on Facebook. If, if I could leave someone with two words on Facebook, I would say connection and engagement. How many friends do you have on that personal page? I think I'm at 3,500. I believe I have 3,500 friends. Let me just check that. 3408. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's a lot of friends. Yeah, it's, it's and I, you know, um, a, a majority of them are real estate agents from across the country or my sphere of influence. Those are really the two groups. How many of those friends are agents from across the country? Probably 2,500 of these are agents from across the country. And I bring that up because you mentioned earlier a lot of your business is coming from referrals from other agents. Let's go into that for a minute. How are you generating these referrals from other agents? Approximately 60% of those are coming from Facebook. The other 40% are coming from me teaching and training and having uh, relationships with, with agents through Keller Williams around the country. The other part of that 40% is that locally, um, I have agents that are not comfortable in the luxury realm who will, uh, you know, approach me to co-list or to help them, um, you know, get a luxury listing and maybe either pay them a referral fee or, like I said, co-list. And the other part of that 40% are agents here who work for builders, um, who work on site at a subdivision who have clients come in and uh, have homes that they need to sell in order to purchase. So I sometimes get those referrals as well. Let's break out those different groups. One was agents across the country in a network. It sounded like a lot of those agents are coming from your franchise, Keller Williams. First of all, is that true? Are, are the majority of these folks from Keller Williams? You've met them through that network? Correct. That is correct. Okay, great. And then you also mentioned you've got these local agents who want to co-list with you. Some will refer, some will co-list. When you do a co-listing, what does that look like? So for me, what a co-listing looks like is an agent approaching, it's always, it always looks the same. It's an agent who's not done luxury before, 
Sometimes it's an agent who is maybe slightly out of the area, but they're close enough that they could sell in, 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 my, in my backyard, but they, they may not be comfortable with it. But again, typically it's because it's luxury or at least it's, it's approaching luxury. And so uh, a lot of the times, you know, they'll opt to approach me and, and partner with me or have me, have me just handle it and, you know, um, get a referral fee. That happens um, quite a lot for me. Referral fee, we, we all have a pretty good handle on that. This co-list situation, though, how does that work? Who does what? Well, typically, it's just 50-50, right? So typically, if, if I'm going to split a listing, then, then it looks like a split for me anyway. I don't think I've had it any different. So we, we've typically done 50-50, and then we share expenses, and we go into the listing with a you know an estimate marketing plan so we know up front what we're looking at. And the other thing that we do is, is we have a clear understanding of roles, you know, who's doing what in, in the listing, and, and it goes really well for us. We enjoy it. Are these listings coming in from other agents and other companies? No, it's typically Keller Williams. I'm trying to think if I had any from other companies. I don't believe in the last two years I've had any from from other brokerages. So typically it's Keller Williams agents. Again, they're more local agents to me where they, they may be in my market area. They're just unaccustomed to a certain price point or particular neighborhood maybe. Will the listing then go in under your name under the MLS as an example? It depends. Um, it, it really has gone both ways. I've got one coming up that'll probably go in under my name because we're going to be facilitating all of sign calls and all of the on-site showings. I said, I think it should go in your name. I think you should get this under your belt and get your name on this sign, et cetera, et cetera, because he was willing to handle all of the phone calls and all of the agent inquiries. So my, my goal is to try to boost the other agent up as much as I can. Practically speaking, it, it doesn't always work to have them as the lead. So it kind of depends what's going to be best for the client and for the other agent. Do you promote that you're willing to do these co-lists or has it just happened? It sort of happened. I do talk about it when I'm training um, that I I really believe that an agent's first luxury listing, that they really ought to consider partnering with another agent who who, uh, is confident in that arena. And ultimately, I think that the junior agent can learn and grow from that probably better than if they tried to kind of stumble through it on their own. You mentioned you've also received referrals from agents who are working on site at a builder. Have you gone out and intentionally created those relationships? And if so, how did you do so? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, uh, that's part of my lead gen. I was just on the phone this morning with my group of, of wonderful agents that, that I work with, and then I'm privileged to be their referral agent. I uh, call them regularly. They are um, uh, one of them's in my top 20, as a matter of fact. And, um, you know, it's very intentional. Most of what I do is very intentional. How did you initially establish the relationships with the sales agents working in the builder's office? I originally established that when I was um, just out of college and I went to work for my dad and I met a lot of the people when I was um, working in, in, as a marketing and sales um, uh, capacity for the new construction industry. And so I, I really forged 
some wonderful deep relationships back when I did that. And then, you know, when I got into residential resale real estate, I realized that, um, you know, that, that the people that I had known uh, had a need and that I could fill that need. And so um, I've been doing this ever since my first year in real estate. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You're getting a lot of these agent referrals and co-lists. You're getting a lot from across the country, a lot locally. Are you promoting or advertising in any way that would bring these folks in? For instance, do you send out postcards and say, hey, send me a referral and I'll send you XYZ? Is it happening that way or is it just the fact that you're teaching and you're getting in front of people? It is not happening that way. I get those emails a lot. I um, It is happening because when I go to to the Keller Williams events, and they're not always Keller Williams. When I go to the national real estate events, you know, um, last year, boy, I've gone to Boomtown's event, I've gone to Inman, I've gone to Keller Williams. Uh, I travel a lot. I'm very active. I, I am very intentional about connecting and forging relationships with agents in key feeder markets. And Seattle right now, we have Amazon that is hiring upwards of, you know, I think it's a thousand people a month. I don't even know what it is. Huge, huge numbers. My, uh, my Seattle buyer's agent, three of her last four clients have been Amazon. So we're really paying attention to where they seem to be recruiting them from. And the Bay Area and us always have a close relationship. Um, there's, there's a lot of Arizona-Phoenix crossover with Seattle. So there's a lot of back and forth there. And so I try to pay particular attention to the markets that I know. Portland is another market, Spokane, Boise, Idaho. These are markets that naturally feed into Seattle. And so um, I'm just particularly um, involved in relationships with agents in those markets. You know, I, I try to contribute and, and be, be a, a resource for agents as much as possible so that they will think of me or they'll refer me to their call who have somebody. So a lot of these agent referrals, by the way, aren't from the agent that I have a direct relationship with. They're from maybe an agent in, in an office of someone I have a direct relationship with. So, but it all stems back to those core relationships. So I think if you've noticed a theme with my business and my success, it's that I would prefer to have a deep relationship with a fewer amount of people than have a massive amount of people, you know, with a, with a shallow relationship. That's marketing, and that's great. That's not relationships, though. So I, I just prefer a quality over quantity for relationships. When it comes to marketing, I'm, I'm totally cool with a big quantity. And, but we're talking about relationships, not marketing right now. Here's a, another question going back to your, your deep relationships, your top 20 group as an example. Do you ask directly for referrals from your top 20 or is it just happening because you're there and they know you're in real estate? You've been speaking with me for a little while now and I think you can guess that I'm not shy. <laughs> so um, I very, very much ask for referrals directly. And, and, you know, and at the same time, what I also ask directly is what can I do for you? 
So we just, that's just, I, I just have that kind of relationship with people. How can I help you? What do you need? Are you looking for people to hire? Are you looking for more business? How can I help you? And this is what I need. <laughs> what I need right now are sellers because we are really low on inventory. So I would love you to just, just remember that as you hear people talking about needing to sell their home, if you could remember to tell me so that I can call on, that would be great. And of course, we all know what they say. They say, of course, of course, I'll think about you. But every time we make those phone calls, you know, it's no surprise that the phone rings from a referral. We still need to keep ourselves top of mind. Do you have a formal script? Have you practiced the script you just gave us or did it just kind of evolve? Uh, It sounded to me like you just gave us a script. You ask them how they're doing and what they need. And then you say, here's what I need. Did, Did you do that formally or did it just kind of evolve into that? I'm a script queen, and my scripts started organically, and now they roll off of my tongue like, you know, you heard it, right? It just came out. I didn't even think about it. So I have um, 15 or 20 scripts that that are so natural to me at this point um, that, you know, that that's what they are. One of my favorite scripts when calling my database is, um, who do you know that I should know that's buying or selling? And then my other favorite script is, um, hey, you know, what are your real estate plans this year? So, you know, these aren't, you know, they don't sound like a hard sell or anything. It's just, you know, hey, who, you know, who do you know? You know, is it you? Is it someone else? And that's typically how, how I talk with people. I like how you soften that by asking about what they are interested in and what they need. And I assume you follow up with that and you help them. And it shows that it's a, a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah. You know, for instance, I, I called one of my top 20 last week and I said, um, am I supposed to be doing something for you? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, you know, I just wanted to make sure that you weren't waiting for anything. Is there anything I can do for you? And she laughed and she said, yeah, actually, you can get me a referral because we really want to do that remodel. So I'm um, a a great uh, other top 20 client of mine. I'm selling their personal house and, um, and we're in contract and we're set to close in a few weeks. So I called him up and I said, you know, I want to hook you up with my friend. I want to tell you about her and I'm going to send you guys both an email introduction. And sure enough, I got a text message the other night and she said, oh, it was great meeting Eric and thanks for that referral. And, you know, you're great. And then, you know, my text message back is great. Let me know if there's anything else that I can do for you. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily barraging her with that referral request. Like every time she contacts me, I'm not asking for a referral. But, I mean, the premise of that came from me calling and saying, what can I do for you, and this is what you can do for me. Are these people in your top 20 group, are they your friends? They, yeah, for the most part, they are. Um, some of them more so than others, but I would say the top 20 is crossed over, and that's it. You know, I would say that I, I'm, um, I don't have a capacity for a ton of friends. I have three kids. I, I, I'm running a growing business. And yet the top 20 have crossed over. You know, most of them have been to my house at this point. Um, You know, I spend some time, you know, some of them I spend more time with others. And like all friendships and relationships, we have seasons where we're closer than others as far as socially. Um, And yet I'm trying to think if any of them aren't. They're all they're all pretty much friends. Yes. You mentioned one of the other referral sources are your team. Your team is referring business in at this point. Did you train them to do that? And if so, how did you go about it? 
I train them all the time on that. You know, I, I am constantly, so I have two admin and three buyer's agents and uh, we have team meetings once a week and it probably comes up at every team meeting. You know, um, these, these are the team's needs, you know, and right now what our needs are, are listings. We are, we are in a very low inventory environment in this area and, and thankfully we sell our listings pretty much within a week. And, and that's great news and yet it means that we're not holding a lot of active listings like we're accustomed to. So these days I'm training the team and the admin staff on scripts and on awareness. I'm just constantly reminding them to be aware of, um, you know, of listing and you know, seller opportunities. And yeah, for sure. I mean, our, our admin, you know, admins have a sphere of influence as well. And both of them actively try to get us business from their circle of friends. Are you taking your, your team's sphere of influence and bringing them into your database so that you have their names, addresses, phone numbers, you can send mail and email out? Have you done that? Yeah, so that's exactly um, when, when I was sharing with you that as we speak, um, the admin department is full force working on database. What they're doing right now is all of my buyer's agents and my admins have all turned in their databases now. Now they're consolidating it and they're coding it. So what that looks like is, is that um, the database of each individual agent is theirs. They own their own friends. They own their own database. So if they ever leave the team for some reason, that goes with them. So we need to be sure that we code, you know, that, that it's, it's, it's team SOI, but it's also Kayla SOI or Isabel SOI. Part of the room we're all going to the video studio together is that Kayla needs to talk to her own database. Isabel needs to talk to her own database. So each of them are going to have um, some individual uh, pieces that go out in their 33 touch, and yet they're going to be branded to the team. It's important that we kind of always um, uh, focus things back to the team, um, and yet, you know, Kayla's friends know Kayla, and they certainly don't know me. So we're, we're very much doing that. Are you also teaching your team, how to develop their own top 20? I would say I'm teaching the team how to build their database at this point. No, I haven't, I haven't uh, gotten there. My, my longest uh, buyer's agent, Isabel, has been with me for 14 months. Kayla's been with me eight months. And then I've got a gal who's been with me for three months. So at this point, the focus is on, on building the database. I would say top 20 discussions will probably start in 2016 for them. Via, you mentioned that you are hosting a radio show. Tell us more about your radio show. Yeah, so I host a weekly radio show with my husband. It's called Real Estate Via Via. Uh, obviously, the first Via does not have a J. <laughs> so um, I, I was invited last year to um, be a part of a, a radio show with with two, it was two agents and two lenders, and they had formed this weekly hour-long radio show. And I, I really ended myself, and um, they decided to not continue. And the radio station approached me and asked, you know, if I would consider doing my own show. And um, my husband uh, comes from a broadcasting background. He used to be a weatherman on television. So um, very comfortable uh, in the radio. And so we decided we would do our own show. It's uh, every Monday from 9 to 9.30. And it's on a local AM station. 
And and really the purpose that show, and in fact, I, when I mentioned our 33 Touch program, really what, what, what that's going to look like is the content of that show is going to be um, our database touches. That's really going to be the content for our database. Um, ultimately, I decided I probably wasn't going to be a video blogger or a vlogger. I probably wasn't going to have a, a webcam in my car and you know driving around and broadcasting vlogs of myself. And I figured radio was a really nice way to create content that I could put online um, and uh, you know and and just help promote myself. I use Facebook a lot for the radio. So so Facebook and the radio just come together really well as far as engaging my my 3500 friends um uh having out of town agents as guests. Uh, it's been really good. We try to do um out of our four shows a month, we try to do two consumer oriented shows and two agent industry oriented shows. And really the reason we, we've chosen to do it, it that way is because when, when looking at how we get our business, we have such a large percentage of our business that actually comes from agents. You know, I felt anyway that it was important to address topics that would engage them. And then conversely, we obviously want to touch the consumer. Are these shows live? Yeah, so typically they're about 50% live and 50% pre-taped. So what, what we like to do in, in our typical rhythm is is that we go in on a Monday from 9 to 10. We're in the studio every other Monday. And the first show is live from 9 to 9.30, and then we pre-tape our second show. So typically we're in the studio twice a month. What we're going to start doing um, that I'm excited about is is I've got a couple um, events coming up that I'm going to, and I'm going to start bringing the mobile um, recording equipment, and I'm going to start having fun with asking agents around the country questions. You know, like you know, what do you think? You know, what do you think are the big topics uh, in real estate this year? And just kind of sticking the microphone in people's faces, and I want to try to do more mashup and take advantage of the fact that I do travel and I'm really involved in industry events and, and I'm with a lot of really high profile agents and I, you know, I'm excited about taking advantage of that. So I think we're going to start having more shows like that where we may not have live studio guests. It might just be um, a mashup of various agents and stuff. So, Have you seen a return on your time invested in this show? Have you been generating business from it? I haven't seen a return yet. Everybody asks me that. I haven't seen a return on radio from, a, from the consumer. What I have seen a return on is in my conversion. And what I mean is, is that when I, when I have in my signature that I'm a host of a radio show and there's a link, we, we also simulcast it on blog talk radio, and there's a link to the show, what I have found is, is that it often comes up in my listing presentation and, and it's mentioned once I'm hired. I mean, you know, nowadays in, in such a low inventory environment that we're in, I'm competing typically with three to five on every listing that I'm going for. And so where I think I am seeing an ROI is on conversion. So I don't think they're calling me from the radio show, but I think that there's a level of credibility and it's helping potentially tip them over the edge and maybe hiring me because they, they perceive me as, as an industry expert. I'm also seeing a return on investment with other agents. Like I said, with Facebook, I'm getting a lot of play with uh, promoting episodes and with um, certain guests that I've had, um, in fact, inviting intentionally inviting specific agents from some of the markets we talked about, and then getting referrals behind that. So it's just helping me be top of mind. 
the radio station is a talk radio station? That's correct. It is a talk radio station, yes. Are you being paid to, to host this show? No, I'm not being paid to host the show, but we're almost zero based uh, on the show because of sponsors. So my lender, um, I've got a, um, a few other sponsors on there. Um, we've got an association that sponsors us. So, um, so it's, it's really a time investment more than a financial investment. And I'm not making money on it. For the dynamics for people, because you've been in radio for a long time, and, and most people probably don't appreciate this, you as the as the promoter of the show, you're paying the station to get that airtime. Is that correct? That is correct. We are paying the station to get the airtime, and then we can resell you know any portion of our show to sponsors. And so we're not quite there, but but the cost is almost offset. And yet, what I know about doing radio now for uh, about 18 months is that it's a huge time and energy investment. And um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that there's a huge ROI in doing a radio show such as we're doing, unless you use that content um, wisely. So I think that I view radio as a vehicle for me to create web content. You mentioned that another source of business that you have right now is internet leads. I think you said 17% of your business last year. What exactly is happening? What kind of internet leads are you receiving? How are you making that happen? Yeah, right. So internet really consists of uh, Boomtown, um, some Dave Ramsey ELP, um, and then some um, Facebook. We, we definitely uh, pay, pay for some Facebook um, ads and boosting. And then, um, you know, the fourth source is kind of, um, you know, the Zillow, Trulia, Realtor, just the kind of incoming internet leads that come from, from having listings in the various sources. Let's talk about Boomtown for a second. You're generating some Boomtown leads. Uh, what have you learned in that process? Uh, many people have told us that you'll get a lot of leads, but it takes a lot of time to go through and qualify those leads, and you'd be lucky to get one in 100 to close. Has that been your experience? Oh, yeah. I've learned a lot about Boomtown. So we've only had Boomtown for 18 months. And, oh, boy, have I learned a lot. So I, a couple things I would say to agents about Boomtown. Number one, it is absolutely set up for a team environment. If you do not have personnel in place to respond to the leads immediately and to work the leads and to be able to handle, you know, a volume of leads at a given time, it, it would be a waste of money. Boomtown is a great, great vehicle. It's the best back-end CRM slash lead cultivating system I've ever used. It's pretty amazing. And it takes personnel. When I first started Boomtown, I don't think I was ready for it. I really, I really don't think I had staff in place for it. Now, with three buyer's agents, it really works well. You know, the other thing about Boomtown is, is there's Boomtown, and then there's your AdWords campaign that goes with it. And so, um, you know, what I love, what I love about Boomtown is it's a spigot that you can turn up and down. And I've done that. I've turned it up and down. Right now, our listings are cycling 
through so fast, for instance, I just increased our pay-per-click because I felt like we're not getting typical buyer flow of leads that we're used to getting this time of year because we usually have, you know, more signs in the yards. Well, what happens is we sell our listings with multiple offers in five days and then the sign disappears and the houses sell, which is great. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're not necessarily having, we're not getting to do eight open houses. We might get to do one open house at a new listing or maybe two and then we're done. So I can turn the spigot up and then when inventory starts building up, I can turn it down. But, you know, it's, it's a straight, it's a very um, precise formula about how many leads per agent, um, you know, how many leads you're getting, what are you spending per lead, um, understanding what the conversion rates are. I mean, Boomtown is, is a marathon, not a sprint. It really took us a while to get our stride on it. Do you know what your conversion rate has been on the Boomtown leads? We're right at about 1% right now. So our Boomtown conversion is about 1% right now. The anticipation on that, though, is that as we, uh, by the end of the year, my hunch is it'll be at 1.8, maybe 2%. And then cumulatively, by the end of 2016, my hunch is it's going to be between 2 and 3%. In other words, if you're nurturing and continuing to work on leads, cumulatively, that your, your response rate should get better. I think I think part of the reason our rate is fairly low right now is just because we figured out how to use it. I would say I would say it took us I would say it would it took us about eight to ten months to really figure out how to use it. I, I don't think we've really had a full year using Boomtown at its full capacity. Do you think that you've broken even or received a return on your investment with these Boomtown leads? Yeah, of course I analyzed that, and I've I've just barely broken even. So uh, now I think we're going to move into profit. I will say, you know, with full disclosure on Boomtown, and and I I want to be careful how I say this, but I do have financial involvement from Allied Partners, and I think that that most most people who have Boomtown. Um, also have financial help. So, you know, we, we are sharing the cost. We're not shouldering the whole cost of it. You mentioned Dave Ramsey and ELP. What is that? So Dave Ramsey, ELP, I became an ELP uh, last July. And um, we are doing well uh, with that. Uh, there's still room for improvement. And uh, there's 36 ELPs in my market, which is a lot. So, um, you know, we enjoy competing and, and we enjoy the, the, the nature of getting a lead and needing to respond quick. You know, we're pretty good at that. So, so we've done a pretty good job with Dave Ramsey. Yeah. How does that work? Dave has some kind of system in place where he's receiving leads, his organization, and then he's turning around and offering them to the 36 ELPs? That is correct. So every lead that registers on the Dave Ramsey website um, you know, gets sent out to three different ELP agents. And so you're, you're competing against other agents um, for, for all of the leads. That's how it works, yeah. And they're all over the country. Yeah, it's a great program. Do you pay a certain amount each month to be part of the program? Are you paying a referral fee when one closes? How does that work? Correct. It's a referral fee. So we don't pay for it and, and we pay a referral fee in the back end. That's right. You also mentioned Facebook ads. Do you have a formal program in place for Facebook ads? I have failed miserably. <laughs> so this is a fail for me on those home valuation ads on Facebook. I have never been successful 
in converting a Facebook, like, you know, find out how much your home value is worth and, and sending them to a site. I've not done well with those. What I've done really well with on Facebook is um, boosted posts, both personal and, and business posts where, you know, we get engagement or we have a call to action and, and they call in or they respond and then I follow up. The other place that I've done incredibly well on Facebook, as we mentioned before, is with agent referrals. I, I've done tremendous on those. And, and I guess the third place on Facebook um, that we also talked about earlier is just fear of influence, you know, database people who really probably wouldn't have had me top of mind and, and Facebook has caused me to be top of mind. And so then I've gotten the call from them or the referral from them. Well, Via, I want to transition here. I want to switch over and talk about your team. You've kind of outlined it already for us, but let's go through real quickly. Could you please give us a quick sketch? Yeah. So how my team is structured is I am the CEO and the listing specialist. So I am the team owner, and then my job on the team is as the listing specialist. My husband uh, is, is the co-owner, and he doesn't really work directly with the team as far as being in the office every day. However, he uh, runs the books. He's our CFO, and he also handles our staging and handles what we call our site issues. So he, he often is the one going around to our various listings and making sure uh, if they're vacant, just doing the checks, making sure that there's there's buyers and, and all of that. He has a very, very important role, and yet it doesn't, you know, he's not in the office every day. Then I have three buyer's agents, and they exclusively work with buyers. However, we are transitioning them. They can earn the right to start taking listings, and one of them is on the verge of that transition. Uh, she's been with me for 14 months now. So I anticipate by the summer that she'll be also what I call a sales agent. She'll, she'll transition from a buyer's agent to a sales agent. And what that looks like is, is, is as a sales agent, my agents will, will certainly take any listings that they procure, and yet the team listing leads will go to me as the listing specialist. So the incoming leads will still come into me, and they will have the opportunity to go get their own listings as they're doing their buyer lead gen. I then have uh, two um, full-time administrative staff people. One of them is really my operations manager, uh, and then the other one is our transaction coordinator slash marketing. So she helps uh, implement the marketing strategies that, that my COO and I uh, kind of decide together, and then she also runs the files. She transaction coordinates the files. My um, head admin also um, handles the listing, so she, she's a listing coordinator. Um, that, that's a big part of her job as, as being the operations manager. You said that your buyer agents can earn the right to list and become sales agents. What is the process of doing that? How do they earn the right? They earn the right with production, and, and the production needs to be um, at least a six-month consecutive uh, track record. And so we're approaching that now with my senior, uh, senior buyer specialist. My mindset behind it is that, you know, um, is really retention. I want to be able to be a vehicle by which they can achieve their goals. And, you know, I believe by, by limiting them and only working with buyers at a 
certain point, I'm probably guaranteed that they're going to move on and go elsewhere. And what I'd like to do is develop them into, you know, leaders in their own right. And I'd like them to think and and feel comfortable that they can build an empire underneath my umbrella. And so I want to provide the opportunity for them to do that. And so that means they need to be able to take listings and I'm going to, you know, mentor them and train them and teach them how to do that. Would you mind disclosing to us how you compensate your buyer agents? I don't mind at all. And in fact, it's published. I mean, everything I do is straight from the millionaire real estate agent book that you can buy on Amazon. You know, it's written by Gary Keller and all of the formulas and splits and breakdowns are on there and I just copy it. So for the most part with buyer's agents, uh, it's a 50-50 split. And the the exception to that is if, if they have what we call an appointment lead, so if, if me or our future, we're, we're going to be hiring a telemarketer and an uh, inside sales agent soon, those are our next hires, uh, if they set appointments for them, then they will take 35% of the commission and will give the telemarketer slash inside sales agent a portion of the commission. And that's, that's very standard. That's, that's, like I said, written in the book. And has that structure been working well for you? Very well, yeah. I cover, um, you know, virtually all of their expenses, not quite everything. They are independent contractors, but I, uh, I take care of them very, very well. And there, there's not, you know, they don't have to have any capital that they're bringing to the table. And they get to launch in and 100% on sales and have us behind doing all of their administrative work. They're about to get a phenomenal database uh, marketing plan set into motion for them. We do mailers for them. So it's a great way to enter real estate. If I had the opportunity way back in 2001, looking back, I think I would have probably joined a team. I would have joined my team. (laughs) (laughs) I have a fun team. (laughs) Via, when, when you're out there looking for a new team member, you want to hire someone, how do you make sure you hire the right person? I love that question. So I, um, <laughs> I have failed miserably at building a team. And, um, oh, it, it, you know, it, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my career. Selling real estate's easy. You know, hiring and building a team is a whole other story. I have been a student of, um, of, of how to hire and spot talent. And, and I've been a, a really a dedicated student now for three years. There, there's one particular class that Keller Williams offers on, on how to hire talent. It's called Recruit Select. And I've taken it 14 times now. So, I mean, I am telling you, I am the queen of failure in this, in this regard. Um, and, and, and the reason it finally uh, succeeded at a high level was that I became very, very clear about who I was, who my team is, you know, what is our team culture, what do I want our culture to be, and then who am I looking for, who really is going to fit that, and, and who really needs to be in here. And once I got clear on defining my needs, uh, finding the talent became easy because I had a filter by which, uh, you know, I could, I could know if they were going to be a fit. I have a mission, vision, values, beliefs, and perspective um, page. I, it's actually three pages that I've typed out that I refer to periodically. And I just wrote it out to, um, you know, decide what I wanted to define. What is the VIA team? And, and you know, who are we? And, and what am I hiring to? And for me, that means competitive, it means self-managed, it means driven, it means uh, loyal, 
It means there's a whole bunch of things it means. It means learning base. It means committed to mastery at the highest level. And once I started defining that, I just simply um, started asking the right questions to determine if, if I was talking to a person that fit that. In the interview process, do you give people a test such as a DISC test or a personality test? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, Yes, I give two. So uh, uh, I do give a DISC. Um, I have an unlimited license uh, for a DISC. So um, I love giving DISC. So DISC is D-I-S-C for all those people who are listening. And it's just a quadrant, a personality behavioral assessment quadrant. So I do DISC before I even meet him for the first time. And then we have an initial interview. Um, and then um, if I decide I want to, you know, move forward and, and potentially, uh, you know, hire them or I'm getting close to hire them, then I go on and, and uh, have them take a test called the ABA, very expensive test for me. So I don't have a lot of people take it. And um, it's a series of, it's typically two to four interviews and 10 to 20 references before I hire somebody now. It's a lot. It's intense. Are you profitable? Yeah, my profit and loss statement for uh, for 2014, I was 39.99% profitable, and that is including a salary to myself. When you say the, a salary to yourself, was the salary taken out before the 39.9? That was part of the expense? That is taken out as an expense before the 39.99. How often do you review that P&L? The right answer should be monthly. Uh, the real answer is every, every, uh, probably every other month. Actually, actually, more than most, every 60 days? It's not enough. And I'm finding as my business is growing, I will tell you, is a natural byproduct of growth. What I'm finding is I have a higher need to check it. I, ha- I do have an outside, I have to say, I have an outside bookkeeping firm. Um, we just switched. And um, the new firm is going to be giving me cost of sales reports, which I'm dying to have so that I can start really analyzing how much buyers are costing me and how much sellers are costing me and really, really looking at, you know, structure in, in, with those goggles on. So I'm pretty excited about it. Well, Via, what drives you? I am very, very internally driven. And, and I always have been. And I, I think what drives me is, is an incredible internal um, quest for, for mastery and excellence and, and an internal desire to see how far I can go in something. Why have you been so successful? You know, it's interesting you say that. I, I don't know that I, <laughs> I have been successful. Uh, I don't know that I can say so successful yet. I don't think I'm there yet. I have been successful uh, because I, I am very purposeful and intentional. And, and I, I am like that in almost every aspect of my life. And when, when you are focused on a mission and intentional about that mission, I think that, um, I think that you can throw a lot of the, the um, extraneous stuff you know, out of the window and you can probably push through a little faster than most people. You mentioned that you're not there yet. What is your big, big goal? I have a really big goal. You know, my, my really big goal is that my, my team, um, my local team here is doing $250 million in volume a year on a consistent basis. 
And then I'd like to expand into different marketplaces. And, and one of those marketplaces that I'm very interested in expanding to, uh, which might sound surprising, is, uh, is England. I am a dual citizen of uh, the United Kingdom and the United States. And my uh, family lives over in England. And Keller Williams has, uh, in the last few years, expanded to England. So I'm um, very excited about growing a massive, massive business here in, in Washington and maybe Oregon, and then growing it internationally. How far out is your timeline for, say, expanding into England? I don't know yet, um, and um, and we'll have to see. I, I am um, uh, in talks, and, and it, you know, it needs to be the right time. It will not be soon. Um, we really, the, the 100% focus right now is, is locally, is on my Seattle team. And then ideally, the next step with Seattle is, 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 a, is a very gradual expansion so that our hub stays in Kirkland and that we have a, a Snohomish County team and then we have a Pierce County team and then we potentially have a Portland, Oregon team and then we potentially have a Spokane team. So I'd like to um, uh, have a, a really nice, strong local expansion first and get very established here before I start talking about a different country. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, so you have thought about this quite a bit. Do you have a written plan for this expansion? I do have a written plan. I, what I, what, you know, and this is everybody's, this is personal for everybody. I, I have a very specific written plan, typically 24 months in front of me. So typically I'm really focused on, on the one and two years in front of me. The farther out my, it goes, the looser the plan is. So, you know, I'm up to about five years, and, and I'm pretty flexible on that. I, I, I don't want to ever be so rigid that, you know, that, that when an opportunity comes that I'm not available to take it. But I, I have to say I'm very, very um, structured, and I, I very much have a written plan for the next two years. And I can tell you, I'll just tell you, by the end of 2016, you know, I, we really need to be at 80 million. I really, I really want us to be at 80 million by the end of next year. And that's right in line with your doubling every two years. It, yeah, it should be. Should be. <laughs> Via, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would tell a new agent to um, interview with teams as well as interview with brokers, um, you know, in other words, decide from the beginning if you think you're, you're better suited for a team or go and start on your own and, and grow your own team. I think that had I have had the opportunity of teams when I was starting in real estate, I really do think that I, I would have started that way. I, I think that they're, they're phenomenal training ground and, you know, way to uh, experience, you know, real estate. I'm also really, you know, biased about the brokerage. Having been in now two different brokerages, I think brokerage matters. And I would say to a new agent, you know, when you're interviewing the various brokerages, you know, it, it's really what you think is a match for you and what you think can propel your business, not what you think consumer is going to care about. I think that we've passed the point in brokerages where the you know, the image matters or, you know, oh, I have to be with a certain brokerage to do business in a certain area. I think now we're in an era of, you know, how can the brokerage help me as an agent? And that's the one I should go to. 
Leah, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Oh, yes. It's the reason that I, I'm spending two, you know, two valuable hours of my day because I, I would have loved to have heard this when I was getting started. And, and I would, you know, I would have loved to know that there was someone out there on a, on a high, you know, level of success and a high growth plan, you know, who almost lost her house four years ago. I think it's, I think it's, it's incredible to kind of know what our industry can do for you. I also think it's great because I've listened to some of your interviews. It's just so great to get ideas. And there's so many different ways to do business in real estate. And I think it's just so great to all kind of share them and to have this, um, this, you know, this open and sharing atmosphere. I just have never been worried about sharing my secrets to success. And, and I've never come from scarcity there. I've always come from a a mindset that the more I share, the more I'm going to connect and help people. And at the end of the day, the more they're going to, you know, support me rather than compete against me. I just have never worried about sharing my secrets, you know, and, and I, and I'm so grateful when I hear other people sharing theirs so that I can learn from it. Well, V, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Any parting thoughts for the listeners? My parting thought would be that I think sometimes in this industry, we see these young people come and, you know, within five years, they're, they're millionaires and they're selling a thousand units, you know, a year. And for all of you who are listening, who may have, you know, maybe you've been in real estate for five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. What I have learned is that you can start over in this industry because I really did start over. So I'm 14 years in. I really feel like I'm four years in. And it's not too late to completely retool and start over and to do things differently and kind of rebirth yourself. That's what I did. So I guess my parting thought is, is that you can start new that way and also you can start afresh that way even if you've been doing this for a really long time. Well, Via, you rebirthed yourself, rose from the ashes, and built an empire. You harnessed the financial pressure and turned potential catastrophe into diamonds. You focused on your strength, communicated with your sphere of influence, and spoiled your top 20 group. You grew by admitting your weakness, looking for a solution, and experimenting until you came out on top. You have a huge vision for the future. I see you expanding abroad and bringing your style of real estate into England. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 420 homes last year worth 72 million. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, 
check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.